But I mean, they wolves and deer have been living together for thousands and thousands yeah. and thousands and thousands of years. People that you disagree with, those are the people you should be talking to. Say the head don't work, the whole body suffers. Thanks for doing this. It's not a problem. I'm looking forward to this a lot. I got so many questions. I'm All right. curious. Well, I'll see if I can answer them. You're a touring <laughs> musician back in the day? Yes. Is that correct? Yep. So you made a living off music? In the 70s, I made a living off of music. Really? With who? Well, I had several bands. Um, I played with Paul Metza for a while in a band. Okay. Um, I had oh, many, many of my friends. Really? Uh, yeah. We Bands, you'd have a band for maybe two, three years or so, and then you'd switch and maybe have another band. And So and, how old were you? Well, let's see. I would have been in my 20s. Okay. Yeah. And uh, back then, the nice thing about the Iron Range, I was one of the very, well, I was the first rock band. I had a band called Witch, and there was four of us, Mike Finstead, Bo McCarter, and uh, Joe Loma. Okay. And uh, when Norman's at that time was called Spoilers. Okay. So what we did is we went in there, and it was just a small stage. It was like about a four by eight, you know, and it had a railing on it because back then they only had maybe polka bands and, and you know, kind of variety polka stuff yeah. back then. And uh, Joe Spoiler owned it, and he realized that there was a change coming, that there was kids my age hanging out in the bars, so he hired us. And in his eyeballs, they just saw dollar signs, you know, because he had all these kids. Because it was and, a rock and roll band, right? Yeah, we were the first rock and roll band to play there. And then eventually it got sold to a lady who called it the Golden Dove, and she tried to turn it country, and it didn't, it didn't work. And then Timmy Norman bought it, and then it became uh, Norman's. Okay. And it became one of the rock hubs around here on the on the range. Really, it was. It had a beautiful stage. It, it was really nice. It was a great place to play. What was your first gig like? Well, my first gig, I <laughs> let's see if I I think my first gig was at the Aurora uh, Water Carnival when I was <laughs> in ninth grade. Really? Yeah, we started a band. And 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 I'm not gonna fool anybody. We, I and my neighbor, we got a band together. There was four of us. Okay. Three. The only guy that knew how to play was the drummer, because he was in the high school band. The other, the two guitar players, I, and Chuck Sarkola, uh, Mark Kloon, Dan Leesmacky, and myself joined this. We put together this band, and we did not know how to play anything. But because of the Beatles and everybody else, the British invasion in the 60s, yeah. everybody Rolling wanted to Stones, be that. Rolling Stones, the Beatles. Everybody, all of them. It was they, a cultural revolution, man. Oh, yeah, Dave Clark Five, you know, all, all the greats. We all wanted to be those people. That's cool, man. Yeah. So what's the first instrument, guitar? Guitar. What was your first guitar? No, actually, no. Trumpet was my first instrument. Okay, you played the trumpet first, but so then you moved to guitar. Was it yeah. like cooler or what? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the thing, the thing of it is, is like, what you realized is in in ninth and tenth grade is that you were playing for chicks. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, girls. Yeah. You know? I mean, let's face it. I mean, I mean, you were a rock star. That's cool. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, 
in, in a very short amount of time, we had quite a few songs that we could do. We did the Beatles, we did the Stones, uh, Happy Together, uh, things, songs like that. Gotcha. Things that we could we could actually do. Have no idea how good we were. So it was a uh, cover band, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> right. It no, wasn't like we songs were writing. Time, no, right. no. Not it, much to write about then. No. Well, there probably was. It just that, uh, you know, I wasn't. <laughs> Our singer? first song we learned was Shoe Fly Don't Bother Me because nobody knew how to play anything. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, it, it, I mean, we really started from scratch. That's nobody cool. taught us anything. We just did it on our own. That's the best way to learn anything. My one guitar player, Chuck Sarklog, who I, I love dearly, he didn't have any money. Bar none of us barely had any money. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we scraped up whatever we could to have a guitar and an amp. Mm -hmm. And uh, he built his guitar and amp out of a Heath kit back then. You could buy it through the mail. And he actually built the guitar and the amp. So a Heath kit is like a DIY guitar. Yeah. And right. amp? Yeah. So he like soldered yeah. it. Yeah. Put the amp yeah. Together, yeah. Put the it electrical. all together. Yeah. Whoa. I didn't even realize that was a thing. Well, it, it, so he did it, the woodwork. Was it an acoustic guitar? No, no, it was an electric? electric guitar. Yeah. So you had to put on like the neck. Yeah. The strings. Yeah, had to do it all. No kidding. Yeah. Do they still do stuff like that? You know? I have no idea. If they do, it's a little more advanced than it was back then. But here's the best part. His brother, who was ten years younger. Yeah. Ross, and I play together. Okay. And Ross kept playing where Chuck didn't. He Chuck quit, and Ross found the amp and guitar okay and brought it back so chuck built it yep and ross found it and it where it somehow got misplaced sold whatever yeah uh over the many years and and, and ross found it and got it back brought it back from brought it back home that's cool he it's still has it and he still has it that's yes. awesome man. i think i think it's great yeah oh, of course yeah i didn't even realize that was a thing was it cheaper or did he do it just because uh, he liked yeah like, no stuff? I, th I i think it was i think it was less money Oh, really? Mm -hmm. I suppose. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. So your first gig was at the, the water carnival. Were yeah. You nervous? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Because we didn't have enough songs to, we had to repeat songs. How long we, did you play for? I still have a copy of the check for 65 bucks. Oh, so you guys got paid for oh, your yeah, first we got, gig? Oh, yeah. That was our first paid gig. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so so how did you even go about getting the gig? I can't remember. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. We were called the rainy day generation. The rainy day generation. <laughs> were, you, were you the lead singer? Yeah. Really? Do you have a backup vocalist, or was it just you up there? Well, Mark, Mark Kloon, the bass player, also. Oh, really? Played. Well, we started out. Mark and I were neighbors. When the Beatles came, yeah. we were so into the Beatles that that him and I would go downstairs into their little rumpus room of a house I now own, uh, and there, the, the you know where they had a pool table and all this. And we used to listen to forty fives to the Beatles, and we took sewing machine boxes and tipped them upside down and took string to brooms. What? And imitated the Beatles. That's <laughs> just for messing around. What was, uh, the, what was the sewing machine box for? So you flip it upside down. Yeah, so it drum? looked like an amp. Oh. <laughs> so you guys are just down there with each other, just rock. That's awesome, man. <laughs> yeah. So you had like a record player, obviously. Yeah, so it's yeah. all records and yeah, stuff. Yeah, listening to Can't Buy Me Love, uh, how, uh, the Beatles, you know, how eight loud days a week. Get? How old were you? Well, you probably then i mean whatever whenever eight days a week was before that yeah we're yeah we're after that so yeah, we had to be probably 12 13 that's cool man. i mean yeah yeah and my my buddy mark always wanted to be paul mccartney yeah and i had to be john lennon but yet i was the left-handed guy okay <laughs> yes. 
that's pretty cool. But yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was, you know, it's, it's already at the, t- I mean, obviously, you know, I'm 27. So I mean, like as far as the Beatles, I mean, I know some of the bigger songs, but I'm just not really a, an aficionado on stuff like that. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I make music myself and the idea of doing a gig even scares the crap out of me because it's a different world now. Music has changed yeah. so much. You can record mix master do everything on your own and then you can put it out to the world it's just kind of crazy how it's revolutionized the industry but it's also become diluted so you got all these you know people who are able to make music and it really dilutes the space there's just so many artists out there whereas before you had the beatles the rolling stones you had just this small core group but i mean at the same time it's just like good music is always going to stand out like chris stapleton i mean he's got to be one of my favorite vocalists of all time the guy's amazing you know yeah, i don't is. know if you've seen him sing the national anthem at the super bowl last year mm-hmm, i saw it just good just amazing i mean there's always going to be some that stand out but it is crazy how many rock stars there are now i mean it's just like there's just so many more than ever before you know well rock in in in, in one sense is is kind of dead in its own right just because it's it's everything's so diluted now yeah um uh a lot of other types of music have moved in where rock used oh, yeah. to be you know where rock was king of the hill they're no longer king of the hill no. anymore no well it's it's electronic music i mean like the music is yeah. so changing like pitbull uh something like that where it's dance music where it just there's not much substance to it it's just no just a, it's just a straight beat and and whatever you do dance and and whatever yeah um, but then then you then you have people like taylor swift who actually are incredible i mean they're incredible they're all incredibly talented people yeah and and you have to have that uh persona about you to be able to handle the okay. business in general yeah you know it's not an easy business and and you are right back when i was playing you know you you had all your rock stars you know and then you graduated to the heavier stuff the led zeppelins doors uh those kind of people um and 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 those guys you know all of those people you still had dylan in there and they all changed they all changed the musical course of history yeah you know yeah it's crazy bob dylan from hibbing right from around here you know Mm -hmm. his uh son i can't remember the wallflowers is he the lead singer the wallflowers something like that i can't remember anyways yeah just it, it it's terrible i mean tom penny just passed away four years ago now already but it's odd they're they're getting you know it's like my dad my dad's not that old he's like 55 but even his generation i mean a lot of the some of the rock bands are you know falling off or not together i seen motley Crue when i was 15 kind of one of their well think about it you got ringo star was 84 yeah and he's still touring yeah ringo star from the beatles okay he's still touring he's still touring yeah well look at the rolling stones yeah yeah and they're up there too yeah i mean it's it's amazing what mick jagger does the guy is is close to i think he's got to be close to ringo Ringo. i think he just had a kid yeah but i mean he works out great shape still puts on a good show you know Mm -hmm. shows what you can do if you take care of yourself how long have you uh owned the surplus store for i'm going on 33 years really it was that long i've been in this business for 40 years okay you're an outdoorsman i'm guessing is that why you're into this absolutely yeah where'd you get all these mounts from uh well over years uh, there's a couple of them that are mine but over the years uh i've accumulated them when i'd buy collections of guns or, or things like this i i sometimes i would get them oh really you know, people didn't want them uh people moved wanted to sell the stuff oh makes know, sense you know. and so, then the last bunch i got from a gentleman I, I i won't give his name but yeah he's 93 years old and in a home and uh 
the the family had to do something so they they wanted to uh uh sell the mounts but there was a broker that just lowballed them and when i talked to them about it they 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 brought it to my attention and and i decided to say well i'll tell you what i'll throw an offer in there and just maybe he can you know throw a little more into the pot to help you guys out okay and they went home and said well you know doug is going to show them and it'll be nice why don't we just give it to him so <laughs> so i got all you know big horn sheep dull sheep i got beautiful uh beautiful white tail uh i uh deer i got uh i got a big caribou that i can't i don't even have a place to put it uh elk uh, elk horns, uh, horns galore, and muleys, and so from this one guy. Yeah, and this, this is his collection. Yeah, yeah, and he and he had this uh, uh, big moose rack. It's like sixty-eight inch spread on it that he shot back and. and is like, that the one out that, front? Yes. Oh, he shot man. it back in the seventies in Alaska. I mean, I think the world record is like seventy-six. I mean, it's just huge. It took two of us to put that damn thing. When up. When I was looking at it, I yeah. can't believe it. I mean, the mountains in here are amazing. I'm so happy yeah. that I took a video. It'll be all a part of this. Um, yeah. So, like you said, some of them. Let me remember what I was going to ask you here. Do you go hunting? You go out hunting this year? Mm -hmm. Did you get one? Get a deer? No, I I'm looking for bigger fish. Okay. <laughs> I was looking. I was looking for horns. Where, where where do you hunt at? Like I hunt generally? in Forbes. No, I hunt right in my right in my backyard. Gotcha. I got a hundred acres, and and I hunt right there. A lot of wolves out there. Uh, not really. There's wolves. My land connects to the Evelatakanite property. Okay. And. Uh, so I, I know that they talk about seeing wolves quite a bit, yeah. but they don't seem to travel too much down to where I'm at. You'll see them occasionally. I'll see them on my game cameras. Okay. You might get a couple of, we call them bushy tails, you know, because they're, they're bigger. And, uh, bigger than a coyote, yeah. yeah. But I got coyotes. Sure. Coyotes are everywhere. Mm -hmm. Coyotes are in every city in the United States of America. They're oh, really? In New York City. Everything. There's a guy named Dan Flores who wrote a book called Coyote America. It's really interesting. I should read it. I haven't. Yeah. I've just heard it spoken about, but coyotes are really interesting. They're one of the most prevalent animals, period. But the wolves in general seem to be concentrated in the little bit of research I've done, which is not much, in the northeastern part of the state where I live. And I'm hunting a new area. I just moved there about four years ago. Mm. And I mean, like the amount of wolf tracks, I'd say it's two to one that I see over deer. Yeah. And I'm seeing them often in the woods. I mean, it seems like the population is up there. I mean, you, you have a lot of, you know, contention about it. You got hunters that want right. to be managed. You got people that want to conserve them. You got people that want to reintroduce them, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, as far as what I can see in the area I'm hunting, you know, it just seems like there's there's a lot of them. But I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, it just... it. it and, and another thing, too, like when they do bucks only, you know what I mean? You end up with a large amount of does compared to bucks, you know, because people shoot the first spiker they see. And I hear like down in Mississippi and other places they have like, it's got to be a four by four. So you, right. before you can take it, it's got to be a certain size. And yeah, look, I'm no wildlife biologist, but yeah, that's just what I've been noticing when I'm out hunting. I mean, I notice a lot of people aren't filling tags. A lot of people aren't even buying tags anymore, you know, because the amount it's of- It's way down this year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's why they introduced crossbow. You can use a crossbow to go hunting now, you know, during archery season, which, you know, you needed to be handicapped or a certain age to do that before. And I think that's, you know, evident of how little people are buying tags, you know what I mean? Because it seems like they're trying to, you know, bump up selling more tags. And when I used to go duck hunting, the first two weeks of duck opener, you could not hunt after 4 p.m. because they thought that it messed with the migration cycles. And you also weren't allowed to use, like, active decoys, 
You know what I mean? Like the ones with the wings flapping and stuff. And they recently changed that, I think two years ago now. So you can hunt after 4 p.m. the first weekend and you can use mojos. And they're just trying to get more people into the sport because I think it's like, I mean, there's not many people that are doing it anymore. I mean, do you find it interesting that they changed because of the financial end? Okay. That's why I quit duck hunting. Why? My dad was an avid, avid duck hunter. Okay. And I went with him and I and I did my share of duck hunting on my own. But when they moved that, you couldn't hunt. The first day you couldn't start hunting till noon yeah. and it would finish like at four. Okay. And then you went with this four o'clock BS. And then it was back to like two ducks. Oh, really? Oh yeah, you could only have two ducks. And, and it, it was just like, for all the work it takes to go through this, it just wasn't worth it's it. It's a lot of work, duck hunting. Like, it is a lot of work. More than anything. Almost. Yes. And and the more miserable, let's see here. We have grouse hunters and we have duck hunters. All right. Now the duck hunter has to get up way before dawn. He's got to get up. He's got to get his decoy yep. set. Um, nowadays, people have pretty big sets. Yeah. But even if you had a small set, you still had to get out there. There always was a small little bolt that was always undersized because you had more gear in it than a dog than you really yeah. should have in a yeah. bolt like that. So you're traveling and, and you're going in some loon crap. that <laughs> yeah, And the that motor you, can't get yeah, through yeah, all the yeah, stuff. I, know. It's like, I mean, it's just crazy. Then you're standing in a swampy area. And then you tip you know, over, fill up your waders. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which I I was part of it. I saw once, yeah, which was pretty interesting. Um, but anyway, and there you are, and and then you wait, and then you whatever the shoot is, it's when you really count the seconds what it is to shoot versus how much it is to get there, set up, tear down, take out, and go, and and it, it just where look at a grouse hunter for example, he goes out with a little vest, a pocket of shells, a bottle of water, and a sunnier day. The nicer the day, the better the exactly. hunt. You know, the duck hunter, the worse of the day, the better the hunt. I know, it's a strange thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, in duck hunting, you need to have skill, man. I try blowing a duck call, it sounds like that thing is already dead. I'm terrible mm -hmm. at it. Mm -hmm. You need to know what you're doing with your spread if you have mm -hmm. bad decoys. It's just, it yep. takes skill, it takes work. I mean, but if you know how to cook duck breasts, especially on like a healthy mallard, it's some of the best meat. I'll put it up against anything. But you know what though? I never had duck breast for till I was probably 50. Okay. Because my family, our families have passed, always plucked. Yeah. None yeah. of us ever even thought of breasting out a duck yeah. and wasting any of the meat. No, and that's great. And, yeah. And and uh and it wasn't until it, I was probably yeah, I was I was still in my twenties when a guy showed me. He said, "When you when you uh, uh, pluck a duck, if if you want to really get to everything, you take a, a game scissors and you scissor up the back, and then open them up, and then you can really clean them out, and then you can put your dressing in and kind of fold them over." Did you use wax, or how did you? Well, pluck yeah, Dip we, them in hot most water? of us, yeah, used wax. Yeah. Back then, you had paraffin wax. I mean, you didn't have. Now they make actually duck waxes that are really good. Yeah. But you know, I still like a regular roasted duck. No, well, um, the duck fat you can put up against anything. It's some of the best fat. I'll like it. I have bought and hold ducks. Yeah. I've never plucked a full duck, which I'm kind of ashamed of to admit to now. Um, 
most of the duck hunting I do is by myself. I mean, you know, it's hard to get someone to go with you. And then it's dangerous. And then by the time you shoot them, but I've never had the wax and I've never done that. Yeah. I should do that. Well, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. Don't get me wrong. And I still do it. I mean, there's people that'll give me ducks. Yeah. You know, and uh, they, they may like to shoot them. They just don't like to eat them. You know, the, the tagline for duck is, is flying liver. But yeah. I've never, ever thought that. Um, my grandmother, uh, Edith Nesbitt, she grew up, she, well, she was basically grew up, uh, she was born uh, at Lake of the Woods and then grew up in Red Lake area. All, okay. And that woman could cook duck. Wow. My grandma was by far the best cook of roast duck that anybody that I ever knew. My mom was really good, but, because she got lessons from grandma, but yeah. grandma was the best. She was the queen for cooking roast duck. Wild game cooking doesn't seem like something that's getting passed down. Well, not as yeah, much anymore. You know, it's more no, prevalent, right. you know. Yeah, but a lot of people aren't hunting it anymore. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and, and you're right, in northern Minnesota, uh, especially northeastern Minnesota, mm -hmm. it's been devastated. And and I know everybody likes to blame it on the wolves, but it takes more than one thing. Yeah. The, the, the biggest thing is winters. You sure. have really hard, hard winters. That's yep. on deer. Yep. And then you combine that with the predatory animals, uh -huh. which are not just wolves. Bears take a... They're the number one killer of fawns. Yep. Uh, you have bobcat in there. Sure. Um, now we're seeing bone lions. So, you, you know, they eat stuff and I'm sure they'll eat deer. Yep. So, uh, you know, you have a lot more things and then you got us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and so you put all of us in that pot. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you know, but the winters are really the part that's, that we need some very, very good winters. And, 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 and one has to keep in mind too, I, I, I understand this whole thing about wolves. I get it. You know, they want a season and I, I don't even have a problem with that. That doesn't bother me. But I mean, they, wolves and deer have been living together for thousands and thousands yeah. and thousands and thousands of years. So it's not like they just came about and all of a sudden the wolves are devastating the herd. There's other factors that are involved. Well, and, and, and one has to understand in order for it to change, we got to have some good climate, you know, some good, good winters, you know, that are easy on deer. This is a good start. Sure. Deer in my house are still hitting the fields. I got a 23 acre field. And the other night I had 14 in there. Nice. Now I haven't had 14 all year. Sure. That I've ever noticed. Yeah. And I count the eyes, you know, when I take the dog out, mm -hmm. but I mean, that, that, that's a lot of deer. And that, that was just last week. Sure. So when you start looking at uh, the population of deer and they're still hitting the fields this time of year, that means that they're not, they're not uh, exerting any body, they're not losing any body weight at all. Uh, they're not having to yep. use their fat reserves. Uh, they're still being able to maintain. That means that if they go into January this way, they're only four months a winter. Sure. For a deer if we don't get a ton of snow and and a lot of snow is what's real devastating for deer i suppose they can't get away as they can, easy. well they can't get away they can't get to their food sources that makes sense yeah and if they got to park their rear at a food source of course sooner or later they're going to yeah. get picked off that makes you know sense. and 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 once the ground once the snow gets hard yeah then they're real easy pickings mm. for for wolves you know well they're on track for i mean that right now it looks like until christmas it's going to be you know 30 some degrees without yeah. any snow yeah so. we might go through christmas without a minus in front of it yeah and it's going to be the first time in a while yeah that wouldn't be a bad thing for him i don't know i mean i've always kind of explored the idea like what if we just took two years off hunting 
You know what I mean? Obviously, there'd be an uproar, and there's so much more to that than I really understand. But, you know, I mean, it's everyone can have opinions, but nobody yeah. really wants to do the homework. And right. when you look into it, like, there is an estimated 2,700 wolves, and there's a large concentration of them up in northeastern Minnesota. Minnesota's a large place. If you go down south, yeah. there's a lot more private than public land. But you're going to get guys down there that, I mean, are they got six deer to six tags in some zone so mm -hmm. i mean i think like especially around here you're going to get more bias because it right. seems that they are concentrated but oh sure you know 2700 isn't like a crazy number when i hear it but the the flip side of that is that you know everybody has opinions everybody like there's so much information out there now and everybody just thinks they you know need their professional at everything you know but there is like reintroduction of wolves in colorado reintroduction in montana and then when you see those numbers start to come up to a healthy rate then people want to manage them because you know everyone's you know an elk enthusiast deer enthusiast and obviously they want to preserve those numbers because you go out and try to harvest an elk in colorado on public land with a bow i think the success rate is less than 10 percent. so it's a hard hard sport but you know, I, I don't I don't really know. I don't understand the science. I don't understand the benefits of reintroducing wolves. I know you can manage them in some places, but yeah, it's interesting to me because you do see a lot of people who are just like, get rid of the damn things, kill every single one. Yeah. But I sure as hell like seeing them out in the woods. And you know, I, I, I don't have, I mean, I've never had an issue. I've never ran into one. Yeah, On off the wolf tangent here. Um, on your album that I listened to called Even Now, I was really impressed with the mixing and mastering. Tell me how, like, back, how did you get something like that together? Did you do all the recording at your house and then send that to, like, yeah. a professional engineer to mix and master it? Well, um, there's a gentleman by the name of Jazzy. That's his nickname. Okay. And uh, he, uh, he, he, now he's, he's based out of New York. Okay. But, but originally when I first met him, I, I met him through my sister. And uh, uh, he was in Las Vegas. Sure. And the guy is a multi-talented man. There's just no two ways about it. Okay. He's a Czechoslovakian. He'd moved here and he became a U.S. citizen many years ago, back in the 70s. Yeah. And uh, uh, he had a rock band then and it was real big. And and uh, there's a great story about him too because he uh, uh, had this band and, and they wanted to go to, they wanted to go to England and the country wouldn't let him. Why England? Um, because I think that's where people wanted to hear him. Sure. You know, it was like, you know, so they wanted to go there. Okay. And uh, uh, and the, the country wouldn't let them. Okay. So they basically smuggled themselves out. Oh, really? Yeah, the whole families and everything. Into and England? They, no, they went to New York. Oh, okay, I got you. And uh, the only problem is, is when they got there, they found out in the 70s there was about another thousand bands just like them oh, okay. trying to make it and they didn't play off the fact that they were Czechoslovakians they just tried to be like everybody else yeah and they they ended up doing what a lot of bands do just disband and and people break off and go get regular jobs he kept playing so my sister introduced me to him so then what happened was is I uh, I started working with him Gotcha. And uh, so I'd write these songs and then I'd lay, the, and I have a little studio in my house. I'd lay the scratch tracks down. I would, at that time, I was sending them by, uh, you know, just sending them a, a CD disc gotcha. and, and wave files. He'd download them, come back, he'd do an arrangement. Then he'd send it back to me on through the computer. I'd listen to it and decide what, what changes I'd want. And then we made little changes. And so we kind of worked together and we collaborated on that. 
That's and then, cool. then I played some guitar and, and I do all the vocals on them. Wow! And then he sends them back as as a kind of a complete, and then I I'd lay the vocals over the top. So you'd be sending a CD through the mail to him? Yeah, yeah, so on a wave get... files, a wave file CD. Yeah. Wow. So then he would get it, listen yep. to it, and then yep. so did he play other instruments on there? Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. then he added to it. Yeah. Sent well, it back to you. Well, sometimes what he would do, yeah, he would take the wave files and then he would look at an arrangement that he thought was work would work and okay. he'd do it and then he'd throw whatever I had in there and then he'd send it back to me to finalize it or to make the changes. So you just had like an old Dell desktop and you just burn the CDs or what? Well, yeah, yeah, burn the CDs. I, I got a, I, I still use an old Korg 3200. What is that? Uh, that That's a digital recorder. Gotcha, okay. You know? And so um, it's a little easier for me to operate. I'm not one of them guys that burn the knobs off. Okay. So... Uh, so I, I, I have everything set up so I can turn it on uh, and within 10 minutes I'll be playing, recording. recording. So it records your instrument and your vocals. Mm -hmm. right. So it's just like a large interface, but it's a digital interface. So you record all the information right into that, not Correct. into your desktop. And that's what you see. And then I can dump a WAV file. It has a CD player right in there where I can dump the WAV files right down to the CD. No kidding. Yeah. So then what I do is then I would just send them. Now... If I want to work with them again, which I will, I'll go here and I'll just take the CD and I'll dump it in here and then I'll just ship it to them through email. Oh, that's interesting. So the way I record is I have one interface. It's got a input for a guitar. It's literally this big and an input for my microphone. It powers on my microphone and then I record it all into a DAW Logic mm -hmm. Pro. And then, you know, everything that I do for like plugins, effects or anything as far as like compression... EQ, everything like that, it's all digital. There's no right. analog compressors right. anymore. But some people, you know, you know, will die by analog compressors, you know, the sound of them and stuff. And I've done some contracting where I've hired people online to mix and master my stuff. But yeah, as far as like playing an instrument goes, this is what I mean by the context of how it got so diluted and the amount of skill that it takes to even do it. It's just become so simple because like I, I, I rap, I make that kind of music. I can't play an instrument. I got a yeah. keyboard I'm trying to learn how to play. But what I do is, you know, I, I go online to a catalog. I purchase an instrumental track that's completely finished. And then I just do the vocals, have the vocals mixed and mastered. And then I pay for the rights to whoever created the instrumental. And usually it's about 30 to 40 up to $200. And then I license that. And then I own that track. I own that instrumental. And then I'm able to put it on all platforms and sell it for myself. But yeah, my point being is like, that's just like, there's a lot there. I mean, it, it, it's cool in, in my mind, you know, to think about doing it like that and sending it back and forth and knowing somebody, it's become so much simpler. I was really impressed with your album, by the way. Latina Love was one of my favorite. Yeah. And I can't remember the name of the first song on the track. What is it? Oh, um, I don't even know myself. Yeah. Um, oh, Kid Again? Yeah, Kid Again. I really enjoyed it, man. I was just really impressed with the quality and the type of music. It was really heartfelt and warm. Latina Love was a lot of fun. Um, Gary Mack, I want to talk about him. He was your, your friend. You grew yeah, up Gary, Gary is my best friend. One, okay. of, one of my best friends. Yeah. You'll, you're, if you're lucky enough to have a few best friends, be, be grateful in yeah. life. Trust me. And then when you lose them, it really hurts. Yeah. Gary and I... We started out back in the '60s. He 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 was a, an accordion player, yeah. And I I was a you know fledgling guitar player, okay. And we hooked up. So he lived above the tool. Let's see, the tool two cafe. To um, there was a cafe that his mom and dad owned, okay. And they worked it. 
So they lived in an apartment. So him and I would go and play up there. Gotcha. And that was back in the early 60s. So we maintained friendship all those years and we grew. We had one of our first bands together and, and then we, we kind of, we didn't ever move the part, but, but musically we kind of went into a little bit different directions. Sure. I started hitting folk. And then those guys went more, you know, commercial rock and roll. Yep. Uh, remember the days of the spandex and all the kind of oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. yeah. Those guys, yeah, the hair. Band. Those guys got into that, <laughs> and I mean, it was like where you know I got the hair, but I didn't get into the hair. Yeah, band. you're like I don't know about this cougar spandex. Yeah, eyeliner, yeah, yeah. I love you, Gary, but I yeah. ain't going with yeah, you. yeah. That was kind of where yeah, him and I kind of said yeah, okay. I was born in the blue jeans and and kicking ass rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. Know, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I didn't even know about Bruce then. Oh, okay. You know, we, we, we hit before. the seventies. He was just coming out. You sure. Know? And gotcha. so we weren't really doing Bruce. And she, we were still doing Zeppelin. We were still doing, yeah. you know, uh, uh, all the other, the Allman Brothers and stuff like that. I mean, you know, we were really into that music, you know. Yeah, so he went in separate ways. Yeah. He went into yeah. metal band. He kind of stayed country yep. folk, but you guys remained friends through it all. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then, then we'd... Uh, him and I started writing music, and and it was it was different because we were both. I I, I was started before him, okay, and, he, and and then he started writing. So then we would share things over the years, and you know him and I, you know we were friends. We partied together. We, we were yeah. mates, like they say in England. You know, sure. it, you know we we hung out together. We chased gals together. We we just we drank together. We did everything, and then we played music together. And as the years went on. He moved out to uh, Los Angeles, and uh, okay. um, and uh, and we always kept in contact. Yeah, and and then you know, once cell phones came out, it was a little easier, even you know, because we could, it didn't matter where you were. Sure. <clears throat> and uh, but we started collaborating on music then again. Okay. So him and I wrote. You know, what I basically do is I, I I write the melody, I get it all together, I start working on a lyric theme, and then Gary comes in. Gary was an excellent. Uh, lyricist and then one day you know he had a heart attack and passed away on me and so how long ago was that about a couple of years a couple of years yeah. that's got to be tough it is tough because we would talk at least once a week mm. and a lot of times i'd come from gigs or something yeah. and i would call him you know just on the way home just to talk because i knew he was two hours you know you know before me so or, how, how old was he well, he'd have been, uh, let's see, he would have been 67. You guys about the same age? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we are. We are only we were only like a month or two apart. You guys went to school together? You grew up around nope. here? No. No. We grew up around here. He went to school in Virginia, and I went to school in uh, Cherry. Oh, okay. When did you guys become friends? Um, After I got out of high school. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's got to be so difficult. Uh, yeah, my best friend Riley, um, he's two weeks younger than me. But he's a big burly guy, mm -hmm. got a beard. And I was supposed to be born on June 28th. He was supposed to be born on June 14th. That was his due date. I was born on June 14th. He was born on June 28th. Oh, yeah. cool. So I'm an only child. He's got like five or six brothers. And yeah. this guy, he's just, you know, he's like just the best person. He's my best friend in the entire world. Yeah. Wouldn't want to live without him. And man, that really makes me think about that because, I mean, before I had children, I mean, I would really think about it more because it's just... You know, you get so attached to somebody and there's like that one person in the world that you feel like no matter what, you can tell them everything that's going on and you can be 
more honest with them than your wife than with your parents you know what i mean it's just that one person that you have and yeah i'm really sorry that's got to be difficult and i mean it just makes me kind of appreciate my my time with these people that i that i get to see and spend because as i get older i mean i'm 27 i'm not that old but having children really woke me up to the idea that you know um you know not even necessarily having children but your, your time here is so finite and this is why i like to do something like this this is outside mm. of the box you know i'm really pushing to try to do something different and it's like you know it's so easy to watch five years pass you by. And now I have that decade where I can look back because when I was 17, I didn't have that perspective. I'm, this is 10 years past. Now I, I look at this and I've had 10 years as an adult now. And it, it's really gave me time to be like, you know, you, you gotta really, you know, do whatever the hell you want to do and do it with all your heart because you don't really have, you know, all the time in the world or as much time as you think, you know? Yeah. Well, Wisdom is wasted on age. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're 17, you know, looking at somebody who's 70 years old, it's like, wow, look at that guy. Is he even walking? Yeah. <laughs> you know, is he ready for the home? You know, now you're sitting at 70. I'm, you know, I'm 71 now going, holy man. I made it this far. Wow. Yeah, but you're doing so damn good. I think staying no, active. I mean, you that's look, the key. You look great, man. I'm telling you. It really is. Yeah. I'm not telling everybody to all of a sudden get up and start exercising because I don't. Mm -hmm. I, I get up and I come to work and yeah. I work every day. I work six days a week and some nights I play music at night and, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm, and if I'm not, I hunt, I fish, I'm very active. Oh, that's everything. Are you ever going to retire? Yes. Yeah. Tomorrow would be fine. Tomorrow would be fine. <laughs> Are you going to sell would, the place or what? I got the place up for sale. You do? Do you have anyone interested? I got a couple people. Yeah. You know? So you're, you're thinking about calling it quits. Well, I've been in this business 40 years. Yeah. That's, that's long, a long time. Long time, man. And, yeah. uh, you know, I got a wife who, who's had some health issues okay. or has health issues. Sure. And, uh, you know, it's, it's time to spend more time with her. I get it, man. That and, makes and total sense. She would like to see a few things and, and she's right. She has every right to ask and, and want to do it. And, yeah. Uh, and uh, so hopefully I'll make that dream come true. But I, I got to sell this place. I mean, I believe me, I love I, I love my job. I've been so lucky. And, and that's the thing, like, you know, there was a, in one month, one time, my banker, my accountant, and let's see, my, uh, let's see, lawyer, you know, because in, in, when you have a business, you'll have all of them and, and you got to know them real well. And they all asked me one question. He says, you know, what did you uh, contribute your success for? And I said, well, I hadn't thought about it, but I said, you know, I said, first of all, it's not my smarts. I said, it's my health. Yeah. I said, that's my number one thing. I've been really lucky. And I'm, I'm saying that's today. Tomorrow, we don't know. But today, I made it through 71 years and pretty good. I, you know, I had a few nicks and scrapes along the way, but for the most part, you know, I don't have a... Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday pill box. I, I, you know, I, I don't need to take the only medication I take is a Meprazole and, and that's it. I mean, so I'm really fortunate that way. Yeah. And then, then the other stuff comes into play. You know, I did have a little bit of background in sporting goods, so it really helped. Sure. So when I turned the key, it wasn't, you know, wasn't as foreign to me as it might be to some people. Yeah. But, uh, and it was just, Coming to work every day, putting your nose to the grindstone. You're going to make mistakes. I get it. You know, I make, I still make mistakes. I'll make mistakes till the day I die. 
It's the only way you learn. But that's right. But but I'm always trying to learn. Yeah. And that's and I think that's part of it too. Is you're always trying to learn. You know, you you understand. You make a mistake. Own up to it. Move on. You know, use it. You know. Don't worry about the past so much, you know, just, just focus straight ahead. Use the past as a tool. Okay. Hey, I, I did this once. It didn't really work out. Yeah. <laughs> Try not to do it again. Yeah. You know, and just keep going forward, you know? Yeah. You're and, and then there'll be all these unforeseen things that happen, you know, COVID or whatever else you want to bring up, you know, um, um, you know, the problem we have with this country is mass shootings. And it's it's a really sad, sad thing. I can't give you an answer. Everybody's, got, like you said earlier, everybody's got opinions about everything. And everybody's right, you know. So I get it, you know. But there again, what the answers are, I don't have them. You know, I wish I did. But those are the things that fl make my business fluctuate, you know, because I am in the firearm business. And, and, and there's highs in that business and there's real lows. And when you get an extreme high, you know, like sometimes after a mass shooting, then you're going to hit an extreme low. Sure. You know, and, and, and you need to understand that balance, you know. Yeah. Personally, I like it even keel and nothing happening, you know, because that's fine too, because then you can manage that. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to manage highs, extreme highs and extreme lows. Well, the thing being able to say just that is I don't have an answer to that no. is, is such an honest way to be because there's so many people that want to have an answer to it. And they right. do, they do, they think they do. They think they have a solution no. and every nothing's binary. Nothing's as simple as A, B, C, or D. It's the whole alphabet a yeah. hundred times over and that's how you get to a real conclusion about anything. And everything has become controversial. Everything has become, uh, it's just, it's so opinionated and heated. There's people that don't even talk to their damn family members anymore no. because of politics. Right. And it's a damn shame. It is. It's sad, you know, because you don't need to, I find myself doing it. I quit drinking. I, yeah. I, I was, uh, I, I have a lot of family members, real bad alcoholic runs in the family. I quit drinking. I only, I mean, I, I quit about a month and a half ago. You know what I mean? And oh, really? Yeah. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just like, I mean, I've got, I've got children who are going to start remembering that, I, you know, uh, dad, dad was drunk and I've got, I've got family members that I've done wrong. And when I'm, when I'm drinking, I'm a, I'm a liar, I'm, I'm a cheater. And I, and I don't like who I am because I feel like I, there's so many things that I can do with my time. And yeah. it was a time suck and it wasn't good for me. But I mean, I don't know what that had to do with what I was saying. My point being is that there doesn't, you don't have to have the world, the answer to the world's problems yeah. because it, it, it the, the weight of the world is on all of our shoulders because it's all in your face and it's what sells. And then you don't know what the hell is right and what's wrong yeah. because you've got, you know, so many different people telling you so many different things. So if you're not careful, you're going to be so stressed and overwhelmed about stuff that's happening on the other side of the world. And there's no way you can live your life like that. You can't manage it. You can't manage a family. You can't manage a business. You can't take care of yourself. And if you don't have enough, if you're not healthy, then no one around you, you don't have anything to offer them because your cup is empty. You know what I mean? So I've learned as I've, you know, coming up on my thirties here, I'm just like, I need to figure out how to, how to, how to be healthy, how to pursue stuff that I want to do outside of having a solid job and providing for my family. And, you know, cutting out drinking was a huge part of that. But what I meant by the cutting out drinking is I would always want to talk politics. I want to talk politics because I'm a curious person yeah. naturally. And when I talk, when I ask people their perspective, they're usually 20 years older than me. So I'm not asking it from a contentious point of view, but it, it is contentious and people are tense about it. And there's nobody that wants to talk about it. My grandparents always used to tell me no religion and no politics. And, you know, maybe that's not a bad thing, you know, and but well, that's what keeps families together. I mean, that's why oh. people, that's why the older folks said that. 
Yeah. Because they know what it's like when you start going down that road. Yeah, but they're... But, you know, you, you know, you got to keep in mind, we're, we're at a crossroad right now where because of social media... Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's just, it escalates everything, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, then people, like, you can, there's just, there's people that are especially young, young men and, and young women, they've lost, like, their, their, their idea of what value is. And I mean, yeah. they've put it on really the long, the wrong, the wrong way to live your life in a lot of ways. I mean, the people that they look up to may not be the best. Everyone wants to be a social media influencer. Everybody wants to be famous. Everybody wants to be rich. Nobody wants to work for it. Everyone wants to sit there and look at their phone. I'm guilty of not reading. Yeah. This is my handwriting. It's pathetic because I don't write anymore. I'm of the generation where I don't write letters. Everything I do, I type yeah. or I type it on my phone. And I'll find myself sitting there on my phone for half an hour and half an hour is gone, you know? So I, you gotta be cognizant of it, but it's it's, it's kind of nerve wracking to think like, you know, it comes back to the hunting. It comes back to the fishing. The people just don't want to do it. People don't want to work anymore. They don't want to put in the work for stuff, you know, and it's sad, but I mean, it's I just, wanna, I want to go back to something though, that, that you said earlier about this month and a half, you have, you, you quit drinking about a month and a yeah. half. So I'll tell you my story. Sure. I quit drinking probably, and, and this is good to talk about too, because you're, you're, you're fairly new at it if you're only a month and a half into this. Yeah. So I wish you all the best. Thanks. I haven't drank since probably around 91, 92 when I bought the business. Okay. Um, and, uh, but before that, when I played music, and, and this, is, this is what's different now versus when I played. When I played, you know, drinking and playing was pretty common mm -hmm. i mean we all did it yeah and uh so you got to figure that at that time in my life i was drinking when i was playing yeah. and then my days off i go hang out at the bars and drink sure so you find yourself drinking seven days a week mm -hmm. and and i remember bar owners back then were pretty cold fishes i mean they were you know old school bar bar owners and they, there's nothing wrong with that they knew how to run a business they were real smart mm -hmm. and they always bitched about us musicians and and one time i told the bar owner i said you know i said what job do you know that you can go on the job drink on the job and is promoted by your boss <laughs> i says but man i don't know if i know another job yeah, that does that that one and I said, that's what it was like. So I said, you wonder why we all have drinking problems? Yeah. Yeah. I said, everybody drinks when they work. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so, but now things have changed. Okay. And now when I play music and I go out and I see these other acts and stuff, they don't drink. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of you guys that are out performing now are, 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 are performing because you really want and, 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 and you know that enhanced drug and drugs and, and, and alcohol just uh -huh. does not mix if you want to perform accurately. And a lot of people can't be, you, you need to be physically fit to do some of the things that people yeah. do now. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like, you know. Try running and singing. That's exactly. That's what they're doing. Right. So. And so, um. With that, you know, that being said, that's that's where I've noticed a, a serious change. Yeah. You know, the attitude about music hasn't really changed. I mean, you know, everybody, th there's a lot more mm -hmm. now, you know, millions and millions of people out there are trying to make their, you know, stake their claim, you know. Yeah, but a lot of people just give up because people well, of want, course they do. They want everything right now. You know? Well, you look at it, you figure, 
out of the millions and millions of people, there's probably 1% out there that even might even have a chance. Sure. You take the 1% out of there, and then they got to go figure it out. There might even be 1% of them yeah. that hit the big times. Now, you can eke out a living. Some people have if, if yeah. you can figure it out, if you can keep your band together. Most bands, you know, when you're on the road after a while, you just don't stay together. It's just too hard. Oh, I'd imagine. You have no life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and you're living out of a suitcase and, and, and a hotel, I gets old after a while and it doesn't take that long. And then life changes, people mm -hmm. change. And, 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 and that's why bands usually don't last a long time. Yeah. You know, it's rare to have somebody like the stones who just stayed together forever. And it's yeah. like, they're just going to be here when, when you're gone. It seems like it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what they're taking. They're giving him some stem cells or some alien juice. I, I don't know. I don't know. You ought to look at, at Ringo Starr. You really should. The, the, I feel ashamed the that you said Ringo you... Starr and I'm like, who is that? I feel yeah, so stupid. Yeah, but, like John Paul yeah. George Ringo, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're supposed to, that's like part of history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah, 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 okay. Should have done yeah. my homework. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I didn't know we were going to go down that road, so don't worry uh, about it. But, but I mean, but he's 84 years old and you look at him, you go, smokes. He's still going up there and performing. He's still with the with with the All Star Band, Ringo yeah. Starr and the All Star Band. I mean, those guys. I mean, he gets everybody, anybody. I mean, who wouldn't play with a Beatle? Yeah, <laughs> you know, oh, of you course. Know, you know, just to say you did it. Yeah, you know just I mean? to say you did it. Put that on your resume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put that on your resume. But I mean, that's a like it's like a it's a catch twenty two because like you know people are divided and there's a lot of negatives to social media, but it's also a beautiful thing. There's people that are doing you know, good independent journalism, they're making beautiful music and they don't yeah. have a boss, you know, yeah. like, I mean, so that's yeah. amazing. And like, I don't ever even have to, I could legitimately, if I stick with it, get good at it, I could create music and make a decent living off it without ever leaving my house, yeah. which is pretty amazing, you know? So, I mean, that's just, you know, I think that's just the, I think that's just the world changes. Yeah. There's nothing you can do about it. And there's going to be good things and there's going to be yeah. bad things that come out of it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it is sad to see that, you know, because, you know, it's sad to see, you know, people being so divided, especially over politics, when we have so much more in common than we don't. And if you sat down with somebody and yeah. talked to them, just because they live down in Minneapolis and you live out in the sticks and you love hunting and fishing, I guarantee you guys have so much more in common than you don't. And I've gotten to explore ideas with beautiful people that are way smarter than me that have completely different ideas when it comes to politics than I do. Yeah. But if you, I'm able to talk to them and learn and grow and see why they think the way they do, and I think that's so important to find people that you disagree with those are the people you should be talking to because you got something to learn about yourself if you think you're right you just don't know enough to know you're wrong and that's just the only way you can learn and grow as a person is to be able to say i was wrong and move on and there's nobody that wants to do that especially in politics especially in anywhere you know and it's a shame but i don't think there's anything wrong with being we don't have enough people that are honest. We don't have enough people that are vulnerable and just want to learn and grow. People just want to be perfect and nobody's perfect. So, well, and a lot of people want to, they want, they think they're entitled. Yeah. And that, that's a hard pill to swallow because, mm -hmm. um, getting people to get out and actually work mm -hmm. it, it, and, and you see more theft, you, you see a lot of things, uh, um, how, it, how's Virginia changed since you've owned the business? Well, I've been here for many, many years. So before that, because remember, I played music here in the 70s. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I, there's there's got to be, I, I can't tell you because when I was that age, I wasn't worried about it. 
it. Yeah. I didn't care how Virginia was changing, what the infrastructure was. I was out playing music. I was making, you know, money doing it as he at his young age, partying sure. with my friends. I mean, you know, yeah. you don't sit there, you know, usually I want to be honest with you. The one thing I've noticed about 20 years olds, I'll say this now, is you guys are much more advanced than I was back then. I mean, we, you know, we were party monsters, you know, we, yeah. you know, we played hard. We, we, we uh, rock and rolled. Mm -hmm. We, we were musicians. Sure. And, and, and I'm still old school when it comes to music and recording. I mean, I like to play a complete place, uh, piece i don't like uh, splicing in i don't like mm -hmm. doing any of that um what i like to do is be able to sing the song the way it should be sung instead of you know taking a verse here or a verse there or whatever sure but most people are are different now you can do anything but but the end result is same as long as you really do whatever you like in music that's all that matters it doesn't matter how you get there uh what matters is is that you believe in what you're doing yeah. And, and, and that's it. It doesn't matter what equipment you use, whether you use some old fossil stuff that I have or if you, you own the most modern tech stuff out there. It really doesn't matter. No. Uh, it's, it's who you are. Yeah. It's, it's how, you, how, how you stake your claim, you know, uh, where you stake it. You know, and the best thing that I was ever said to me once, I was playing in Minneapolis and there was this gentleman by the name of Eddie Lovejoy and he played with the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. But he was a guy that was just, he was, he was out there really drugged up all the time. Okay. And I knew him and I'd run into him quite a bit. And one time I was practicing and I was playing and I never got to hear him play except once later on. But he came up to me and he and he took his finger and he just pushed you right on my forehead like this and he was pounding it and he said head before the hands doug head before the hands what does that mean and well think about it head before the hands no in other plan. words you can be the most technical musician you can try to be all the technique you want yeah but unless you got it up here and you and you feel that that same music it's not the same in other words as one it was just recently one big time musician said he'd rather hear four notes of soul than you know a thousand notes of technical you can you tell know. you can hear it in the recording I mean, well that's why everybody music. was attached to the blues yeah you know you hear real blues there's a lot of people that come up and said yeah i wrote a blues song i said no you didn't really? I wrote a three chord song mm -hmm. and i said it's not blues yeah. blues you got to feel it here and, and there's where it goes head before the hands i like that you know and, uh, you know, get, so, you know, I've always taken that approach when it comes to music, try to be as real as I could be, Sure. you know, and, uh, um, and, and, but I also like to experiment too and write, be a little diverse. You know, some people get locked into one frame of music uh -huh. and that's where they stay. And that's okay too. It doesn't matter sure. if that's what you like to do. Um, it, there again, when it comes to music or anything, it doesn't matter. It just matters that you like it. And, yeah. you know, and, and it, it doesn't matter if, 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 if somebody else thinks you suck or what, it doesn't matter either. Mm. Only matters how you see it. And, and if you keep at it, you'll get better at it. And, and, uh, so I, I, yeah, I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad, I, I'm glad I've seen there's so many people out there that are, that are playing music. I, th I think it's so healthy for you. Well, to do it takes balls because you put it, you're putting your soul out. Sure. And you're getting criticized. So it's hard. Oh, so, yeah. and you, and you're chasing your dreams. So, Hey, yeah. more power to you. Yeah. And I love that advice that you just gave. It applies to everything in your life. Yeah. So, I mean, whether it's music, what advice would you give to your 27 year old self? I'll say the head don't work. The whole body suffers. 
Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's what I say okay. <laughs> to any young kid. <laughs> and the head don't work, the whole body suffers. Yeah. <laughs> Doug, thank you. You're very welcome. This was awesome. I, I love talking it. to you, man. This is fantastic. I appreciate your time so much. No, I appreciate talking about music and the business. You this know? was great. Yeah. Thank you so much, Doug. You bet. All right.